here at the church, as Jesus followers, we should be the most loving and accepting people on the planet because we know this guy named Jesus and we know that we were once living a life that is so far from the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who Jesus says we are. So we can share that story. Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelife.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. What's up, Shelter Cove? How is it going to today? I have a little bit of a letdown. He did tell you the truth. I am a Giants fan. However, I am a New York football Giants fan. All right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Hey, I need a little bit of a compassion this morning, okay? So, number one, I'm from Denver. We're right outside Denver. Um, and I just want to report from Colorado that the Broncos actually believe that they're going to have a good football team this year. Everybody go, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Number two, we had our last snowfall two weeks ago. Everybody go, oh. Now, I got here yesterday, and it was rainy, and it was cloudy, and I was like, what in the world? But then I woke up this morning, and it was sunny, and it was beautiful. So it's good news. All right, hey, we are in the middle of this series called Forgiven and Free. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been diving into hard conversations. We've been talking about what it looks like to move beyond bitterness. We've been talking about what it looks like to move beyond addiction. And we even talked about sex in church. So it's pretty crazy, but today we are gonna be talking about what it looks like to move beyond our past and into the future and into what God says about us once we choose to accept him as Lord. Now, for today's passage, I want to set the scene. It's late at night. It's dark. It's quiet. The air is cool. He's been tossing and turning all night long. He has this, this promise on his heart, this burden on his heart. And he's like, I've got to get this out. And as he's processing all of this, he's thinking about the women and the children and the faces of everybody that he cares about so deeply. And he's thinking, he's, I've got to get this to them. I've got to lead them into this new life of forgiven and free, this life that I have experienced, this life that I don't deserve, but this life that is available to everybody. And he's thinking about everything that he's gone through. He's thinking about his old way of life and the things that have gripped his heart so tightly. He's thinking about this new life, this new hope, this new identity that he has experienced and this life that he has to pursue, this life that he knows is better, but it's constantly, he has to be intentional with putting it at the forefront of his thoughts. 
And he walks out to this other room and he looks down at this table and he sees paper strewn about. And he's thinking about this letter that he's trying to write. And he's gripped by love. And it's like suddenly the words seem to flow. Like they're not his words. Like God is giving him the words to write to this people that he cares about so deeply. And this is what he begins to write. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we gather today because of who you are. We gather today because of what you call us to, because of Jesus. And like Paul, we strain forward to this new identity, this new purpose, this new life that you have given to us, that you offer us. Lord, would we be people that can move beyond our past and into the future? Lord, would we be people that boldly share our old way because God, you were that good. Because Jesus, you were that good and you can redeem even our darkest moments. Lord, we lift it all up to you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So here's Paul. Paul is writing this letter to this people that he cares about, this people that he loves, this people that he has been walking with and discipling and leading and Paul is writing this letter and he says, first off, he doesn't have it all figured out. That he has to strive for this new identity, that he has to strive for this promise of Jesus. And if you think about Paul's life, Paul's life is crazy. I can imagine that as he's writing this letter, he feels like an imposter because his old life is so radically different than his new life. His past is dark. Paul, his for, former name was Saul. Saul was living this life and he was striving to be at the top. He was striving to be a, a man of power and a man of influence and a man of money and a man that could lead people. And every step along the journey in his life, he seemed to rise to the top. He was going to the best school. He was getting straight A's. He was learning from the brightest, the most powerful, the most influential people of his day. And every step along the way, he gets invited into this new, like this, this life of prestige and power. And one day, he is present when this guy named Stephen, he was a Jesus follower. He had been going around the region and preaching this good news, preaching this gospel of who Jesus is. And as he is there, this crowd gathers and this mob forms, and they are angry with this guy named Stephen because Stephen is preaching this new way and he's leading people away from these men in power. And while he is there, he sees everybody pick up stones 
pick up rocks, and the mob closes in, and they begin hurling stones at Stephen, and Stephen gets killed. And I believe in that moment, something shifted in Saul's life. In that moment, he immediately sees this path to the top, this path to the to the, everything that he has ever dreamed about. And he begins le- dedicating his life, giving his life to this mission of exterminating the church, of squashing this Jesus movement. And he begins like pursuing and hunting down people that claim to be Jesus followers. When they heard about people gathering in homes, they would go with soldiers and rip the families apart. He knew in his core that if he could take off the leader of the household, the leader of the movement, that hopefully they would scatter and everybody would go away, right? So he begins dedicating his life and he gets this reputation of being a pretty scary dude. One day he is on horseback chasing down some Jesus followers in the city of Damascus. And while he is on horseback going into town, this crazy moment happens. There's this bright light. He gets thrown from a horse and he's blinded. And he has this encounter with Jesus. He has a conversation with Jesus. And it's like, he realizes in that moment that everything that he had been living for was a lie. He realizes in that moment that it's like, what he was doing was so far from what he should be doing that he's rocked. He is like dumbfounded by the new reality that Jesus is who he says he is. And he actually ends up getting invited in to the house of these exact people that he was pursuing and hunting down. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was somebody that was threatening to hurt me or my family, there is no chance that I would let them into my house. There is no chance that I would let them sit at my table. But that's exactly what they do. They invite him in. They begin teaching this new gospel, this, this, this new way of life, this new hope, this new promise. They begin teaching Saul about this guy named Jesus. And Saul has such a radical encounter that he ends up changing his name. He goes from Saul to Paul. And now Paul has this new identity. He has experienced this forgiveness. He experiences this new life. And he begins learning about this guy named Jesus. And he dedicates his life to making this guy named Jesus known to everybody that that he can. He has dreams of going to Rome and teaching and preaching the gospel. It's such a powerful moment that this people invite him in to their house. They invite him in and give him a seat at the table. It's ridiculous. It's undeserved. But I'm convinced that those people allowed him into their home because they've experienced this forgiveness and this identity and this new life that Paul is pursuing. And they are convinced that this guy named Jesus and this loving God, that he he is so good and he is so powerful that they can change even the heart of Saul and turn him into Paul. Forgiveness is available. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, 
Some of you are sitting here and you're like, Billy, if you only do, knew what I was doing last night. It was a crazy Saturday night. If you only knew, and I'm standing here on this stage saying that Jesus' grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is bigger than any of your past, than anything you've done, and he's offering it to you. There's this crazy moment in Luke 23. Luke 23, it's this ridiculous moment. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's hanging on the cross and he knows that he is pursuing what his father is telling him. And when he's hanging on the cross, there's this one guy on the right, he's a murderer, a thief, convicted to the death penalty. And this guy on the right says, hey Jesus, hey Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you supposed to be the son of God? Don't you have the power to get us off this cross? Don't you have the power? What are you doing? And he begins heckling Jesus. And then the guy on the, lie, on the left, the thief on the cross, says, hey, zip it. You deserve to hang there. You deserve everything that you're getting. This guy, Jesus, in the middle, he doesn't deserve any of it. You and I are guilty, but Jesus is not. So zip it. And he says, he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Something inside him broke. Something inside him on that moment in the last hours of his life looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you are the Messiah. Remember me. I don't deserve it, but remember me. And Jesus looks back at him. And he says, tonight you will dine with me in paradise. That moment, I can't even imagine what it would have been like. Jesus looking back at this man in desperate hours of his life, hanging on the cross with nothing to offer Jesus. There's nothing that he can do in that moment to live a life good enough to repay all of the things that he has done in his life, to repay it, to get back to being a good person. There's nothing that he can do hanging there except give Jesus his life, except bow his knee and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and confess his sins and say, Jesus, I want what you have. Can you see Jesus looking at you right now? Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying there's an opportunity to move beyond your past, to move beyond your old way, to move beyond everything that has gripped you for so long? and to move into a promise and a hope of what Jesus has done on the cross, of Jesus offering you a new life and a new identity and a new purpose. Can you see that? Can you imagine that? First John 1, 9 says, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 11 through 13 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what I'm saying is no matter what you've done, no matter how you sit in here this morning, there is hope. There's hope because of what this guy named Jesus has done for each one of us. He offers us a way out. He offers us a new purpose. Now, there's a temptation that when you're looking at a pastor on a stage that, that you feel like he's got it all figured out. That it, he's got something figured out, otherwise he wouldn't be up there. I'm here to tell you that I do not have it figured out. Two years ago, I was in the darkest season of my life. I was gripped by depression. I was gripped by hopelessness. And I ended up sitting in this lobby, this waiting room of this counselor's office. And I remember thinking, is there any way for me to get out of this? Is there any way for me to get out of this meeting with this counselor? I remember taking my temperature to see if I had COVID so that I wouldn't have to go. I was like, is there anything? There was nothing. The kids were all healthy that day, right? Like it just happened. The only thing that kept me in that seat was imagining the look on my wife's face from a couple weeks earlier with tears coming down her face saying, hey, Billy, I think it's time for you to go talk to somebody. I think it's time for you to go meet with somebody and see a counselor. You need help. And I remember in that moment, I knew she was right, but everything inside me was denying it. Everything inside me was like, there's no, that's uh, not for me. So I was sitting in that waiting room and the door opened and my heart sunk and we went in and we sat down. I sat down on this couch. Yes, there were couches in this counselor's office. I was, I questioned it. I was like, are there really gonna be couches or what? There were couches. Um, and I remember early on in the conversation, he was looking at me. He was like, what are you, why are you here? And I was like, oh, I'm struggling. Like, it's hard. I feel hopeless. I don't know. And I remember looking at him dead in the eye and I was like, I think what you do is good. I don't think that this is gonna help me. I told him, I was like, you know, you, you're fine, but it's not gonna help me. This is not for me. And I think he chuckled a little bit. He's like, oh, okay, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. He knew. But we ended up going through all of these things and, and talking through my life and talking about moments that marked me, talking about my past. And we talked about all the times in my life that we were moving and I just felt unsettled all of the time. We moved a lot when I was growing up. I remember thinking like, I, I don't really know where home is and I have to er work and I have to earn my way into relationships. And I remember sitting there and we talked about high school and middle school, and we talked about how much I struggled in school, but how I found my identity and my purpose in sports. Because I knew that if I worked hard enough, I would be able to get to where I wanted in sports. 
if I worked hard enough, I could get to be the team captain. I could get to, you know, all conference honors, whatever. But I struggled in school all the way through. I always felt like I was three steps behind. I always felt like I was like not good enough. I always felt like not quite there, like I didn't belong. And I remember processing that. And just to paint this picture of how bad it was, I skipped class all the time, all the time. And I got really good at getting home in time and timing it so that I would pull out the cut slips before my parents could get it. The letters that said that I was skipping class. And one day, the principal called home and talked to my mom. And she came and she talked to me. She was like, Billy, are you skipping class? And I said, no, I'm not skipping class. I'm sure the teacher is just missing me during attendance. Like she's just not seeing me. I don't know, but I'm not skipping class. The very next day, I was skipping class again. And I was driving down the road with friends. We were going to Dunkin' Donuts of all places. And as I was driving down the road, coming the other direction was my mom. And I remember, (laughs) it's so bad. I remember as we passed, we made eye contact (laughs) driving past each other and I could see the fury in her eyes. But that continued because I just pushed it away. I pushed it away. I leaned into the things that gave me value, the things that gave me purpose, the things that I felt like I was good at. And that continued. It marked that my past was defining my future because in that moment, in that waiting room, talking to this counselor, we began unpacking all of that. And in my core, I had this feeling, this tape playing in my mind that I didn't belong and I wasn't good enough and I was unworthy and I wasn't worth it. And it took a long time. It took a process. Point number one, receive God's forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness because your past does not have to define your future. If you choose to submit and bow your knee to Jesus as Lord, confess your sins, he is faithful and he will forgive your sins and he's gonna give you a new identity. Point number two, I ended up talking to a trusted friend. Point number two, talk to a trusted friend. For me, it was a counselor. The reality is this, Jesus is the best counselor there is. And he's constantly pursuing you. Ever since the day that you were born, he has been pursuing you. He's been pursuing a relationship with you. He's chasing after you and he's looking at you like he's looking at that thief on the cross saying, I want you. So often in our culture, we feel like we are unworthy and we're not worth it. And what we do is we hide those mistakes. We hide who we truly are. We put on this face and we pretend like we've got life figured out. We pretend like we've got everything figured out and life is good. When people ask you at church on Sunday morning, they say, how are you doing? Most of the time, at least me, I don't know, maybe maybe you guys are all different. At least me, I say, I'm good. Life is good. When even inside I'm struggling and I know that's a lie. 
here at the church, as Jesus followers, we should be the most loving and accepting people on the planet because we know this guy named Jesus and we know that we were once living a life that is so far from the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who Jesus says we are. So we can share that story. Several weeks ago, I was watching late night TV. What comes on late at night? Infomercials, infomercials. And there was this one infomercial that especially caught my eye. And I don't know why it caught my eye because I've seen a thousand of them, right? There's this one commercial and they're like promoting this new diet, this new way of losing weight and getting in shape. And this guy is showing this picture of who he once was, right? They're showing this picture. He was extremely overweight. And then there's this new picture and he's got a six pack. And immediately like, I'm like, no, no way. I don't buy it, right? But he's so proud to show his old picture versus his new picture. He's like, that's who I was, but I'm not that anymore. This is who I am now. I believe that as Jesus followers, our lives should be more like that where we point and we show and we share who we once were. We share the struggles that we've gone through. We share the doubts that we once had. We share the questions that we wrestled with. We share the darkest moments of our lives because we know that now that we have Jesus, now that Jesus has marked us, we are new people and we have new identity and we have new hope. Jesus is that powerful that he can radically turn Saul into Paul. He can take his life of living for himself and chasing his own desires and turn it into living for Jesus and making Jesus known wherever he goes. This is a promise out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's amazing. In the Bible, there's this story. It's an amazing story. There's about this guy named Elijah. Elijah has seen God do amazing things. He's seen miracles. He has been present when God has shown up. But he's also experienced the other side. He's experienced being gripped by fear, wanting to run and hide. And in this moment, he runs and hides in a cave and God shows up and God calls him out in a whisper in the quiet place when there's nobody else around. He says, come out. And a little bit later, God tells Elijah to go and pass this mantle of being God's spokesperson, of being God's guy to this guy named Elisha. I don't know why the names. <laughs> They're not very creative. Elijah passes it to Elisha. And Elisha is a farmer. He's working in a field. He does not have a life of power and fame and influence. He's working the fields. And Elijah goes up to this guy named Elisha and he puts this cloak over his shoulders. It's a powerful moment. 
And when he puts that cloak over his shoulders, Elisha is like, yes, I want this new life. I want to learn from you. I want to go into God's new design, God's new plan for my life. And Elisha goes and he tells his family and he takes his plow that he was using and he rips it apart and he sets this giant bonfire. You can feel the heat off of it. And he takes the oxen that were, he was using to plow the field and he kills them and he makes steaks out of them and he ends up feeding it to everybody that he knows. He's like, we're having a party. We're having a party because I am now pursuing this new life. I'm moving into the future. My old is gone. My old life is gone. I'm going to burn it. And I'm going to take my old life and I'm going to use it to bless people. I'm going to take my old life, everything that marked me, everything that gave me identity, everything that gave me purpose, it is gone. And I'm stepping into this new life. Point number three, step into the future. Step into the future that Jesus gives. Because the old is gone, the new has come, and we are called to step into this new identity, this new purpose. For me, I started with talking to a counselor. He said, your feelings are real, but they're not necessarily true. Your feelings are real, but they're not necessarily true. So as we accept Jesus as Lord, we step into the new identity, we pursue the future that Jesus gives us. I believe that we need to surround ourselves with people that can speak truth into your life. Instead of pulling in and pretending like we have it all together, we share it. And then those people that care about us and love us can speak truth. They can speak hope. They can po point us back to the face of Jesus. And in that moment, choosing to accept what Jesus says about us day by day, morning by morning. I want to leave you with this. And I want you to sit and I want you to process. And this week, each morning, take these verses at the bottom of your notes and allow God to speak new identity and new hope and new purpose over your life. 1 John 3, 1, 1 and 2 says that you are loved. You are loved. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did last week or 15 years ago, he looks at you and says that you are loved. John 1, 12 says that when you accept Jesus as Lord, you become children of God. You're accepted into the family. Romans 15, 7 says that you are welcomed and accepted. Genesis 1.27 says that you were created in the image of God. He looks at you and says that you are good enough because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Psalm 139.13-14 says that you were created. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's handiwork. You're not an accident. 
God created you intentionally. Ephesians 3.19 says that you are loved beyond your understanding. You don't deserve it. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. But Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, there's space for you at the table. There's space for you and there's a new life and there's hope and there's new identity. And that, like Paul, like me, that is what we lean into. And we trust God. The God that created the universe, the God that puts stars in the sky, looks at you and says, you are enough. Looks at you and says that there is hope. Looks at you and says that you are loved and that you are God's handiwork. And looks at you and says that I have created you with a role to play on this team. You have gifts and you have abilities and you have a story and you have a mission in life to make Jesus known and to love others and to invite them in and to share hope. That is what we're gripped by. Those are the truths that we choose to accept, that we choose to believe every single morning when we wake up. And when those tapes start playing, we say, no, I'm stepping into the new identity and the new hope and the new life that Jesus has offered. We choose to live the life forgiven and free. Not because of anything that we've done or anything that we can do. Because Jesus' grace and Jesus' love is so much bigger than your past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to gather around this guy named Jesus, to gather as a family, to gather as a unit. And Lord, we trust. We trust this new identity. We trust the things that you say about us before we trust our feelings. We trust your way before we trust our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if it's your first time here, you are welcome. We're so glad you're here. Connect with somebody in the ministry mall. And one more thing, don't forget, next week is Mother's Day. Make those moms feel so loved and so cared for. Don't miss the opportunity. Have a good week.